It was almost real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, episode 38.5. And yes, that is an odd numbering system, but we've decided to do a bonus episode because one, there's a ton of news out there that's happened since we recorded our Christmas episode, so this will actually be released before that. Um, But before we get started, this is the Pro Wrestling History Podcast dedicated to professional wrestling history. From 1870 to 1920, although sometimes we'll range up into the 1930s, and today we're going to range up a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And But joining me for this episode will be my cousin, uh, Dan. So we're two sermons short from our last podcast. Yes, we are. Which but you won't hear till Christmas Day. And I hope you enjoy that episode a lot more than I did, because that was like herding uh, cats. Well, Temperamental cats that did not want to be herded. Plus, you know, we had to put in the extra boom mics and the extra soundboards, and boy, I tell you what. Yeah, and I had to do a lot more editing with both <laughs> of them there, cursing, but we hopefully we won't have to do any of that this week. So before we get too much into some of the things that we want to talk about, I did want to give an update. I had really hoped to have the book on the early career of Ed Strangler-Lewis done by December. I just don't see how that's going to be possible, so... I'm thinking January, February is more realistic. I really would like to have it out in January uh, by my birthday on the 21st. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm I'm getting up there. (laughs) So uh, I'd like to have it out by then, but... He's sneaking up on 39, folks. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it clearly in my rearview mirror. So, uh, and, but one of the other things I wanted to say, because we're recording this on Monday, November 27th, and you will be hearing this episode on Monday, December 4th, and there will still be two days left on a free book giveaway that I'm going to do over that weekend. Hmm. So, and it's an, one of my newest books, actually, but I'm not just giving it away out of the goodness of my heart. Part of it is I'm hoping that you will enjoy it and it will make you want to look at some of the other books that I've written about Proverbs and history. But it also is because I really would like this story to get out. It's a little bit more obscure than some of the other topics I've researched, but I'm going to release the book for free on Amazon for five days and you'll still have a day and a half left if you're hearing this on December 4th. The promotion will be over on December 5th. But Wayfarer in a Foreign Land, Sorokichi Matsuda wrestles in America. I'm going to make free on Amazon for uh, this weekend because I really want the story uh, to get out. I I found him to be a fascinating person to research. And he was interesting because he comes from a foreign country to learn pro wrestling that he wants to take back to Japan. Mm -hmm. While he's here... He marries a uh, Anglo woman up in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and you would think with the racism of the time and everything that that would make him a bad guy. But Matsuda was actually a fan favorite. Uh, you, you know, well, in, back in um, in, the, in the days, uh, and I don't know about in the nineteen twenties. Uh, no, when, this was eighteen eighties. Okay, in the eighteen eighties when Matsuda was wrestling, I don't know if that was still. Uh, you know, back in the the forty to eighteen forties and stuff out and on the West Coast, you know, the Oriental uh, races were known as more less slaves and stuff, uh, and looked down upon. Now had their social, you know, uh, well, if they I mean, climbed the social ladder. 
to then and uh, looked upon more favorably. I'm not sure, but um, no, I mean there I was still so much racism. Okay, in the 1880s. I mean, you're still 1880s. You're still having Chinese workers on the railroads. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're being lowered with the dynamite. Yeah, that's where the term "not a Chinaman's chance" came from, mm-hmm. because exactly. so many were killed when the dynamite would go off. That's why. Yeah, they yeah. were they were basically seen as disposable so it, humans. Right. It definitely was not any better. Okay. So, but anyway, he's but, a fan but favorite. Despite thing. that, he he is a fan favorite. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an interesting story about how he became a fan favorite. But one of the things I didn't know about him before I started researching. And I talk about quite a bit of some of his feats of strength. Mm-hmm. Just like today, there's really no money in bodybuilding, weightlifting, yeah. any of that. If you're going to make money at it, you're going to run a gym, you're going to do something else. You're not going to make very much money as a professional. Correct. And that's the way it was then, too. Mm-hmm. He really had to be a professional wrestler to live, mm-hmm. but had he... Had that been a more lucrative profession, he could have been a professional strongman. He routinely defeated men, professional strongmen who were 100 pounds heavier than him Mm -hmm. in lifting contests. Oh, okay. Could have very easily been a professional uh, strongman. And he was 5'4", 5'5". Yeah. And between 165 and 180 pounds. When he was kind of chunky, he was about 180. Yeah. But most of the time in shape, he was between 168 and 175. So I just find him a fascinating subject, and so I'm going to offer that book for free. Hmm. And before we get into some of the topics we wanted to talk about, Uh did you want to do any of your plugs for your business? Uh, Well, I tell you what, folks, um, coming up on, uh, you know, there's just about three weeks left till uh, Christmas. Uh, I do have a eBay store. It's uh, Red Hawk Mercantile. Go take a look. I've got everything from belt buckles to jigsaw puzzles on there. Uh, prices are very reasonable. I tell you what, if you live in the immediate area, we can save some money on shipping. Yeah. So uh, take us a look. Shoot me an email. Uh, you know, uh, it's right there on the website. Uh, take a look. See something you like. Pick it up for for Christmas. So, and oh, and uh, also, um, I'm in. Uh, uh, in business with uh, my uh, cousin Tam, uh, we have a antique booth in High Ridge at Old Time Finds. It's in the back in the big building, uh, booth 214. Come over and see what we got. We got everything from uh, Tupperware to old coffee cups. So, <laughs> all right. So now you've had the commercial part of the yes. program. So now we're going to get into the meat and the matter. So why don't we start with some of the news we've got? So. Last, well, two nights ago, was Survivor Series War Games, and one of the big surprises was the return of CM Punk to the World Wrestling Entertainment. Mm-hmm. That obviously Paul Levesque is in charge now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that would have never happened under Vince McMahon. No, and I have heard people say Tony Khan shot himself in the foot when he terminated CM Punk. <laughs> Uh, Jim Cornette said he shot himself in the groin. Yeah. After the pop that he received in Chicago and the both the rating and the live event woes that AEW is going through right now, mm-hmm. I would say Tony Khan shot himself in the foot, the groin, the heart, and the head. Yes. In one fell swoop. And it's because he failed to manage his company. 
Yeah. Well, this is he should have never let it get to the point where his biggest star and his EVPs could not coexist together. I was going to say that's what you have with the uh, young bucks who are executive VPs of the company. Which, okay, here's where I'm going to, I hope I don't hurt too many people's feelings. Uh-huh. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are executive vice presidents and title only. They have never acted like that. Yeah. They, they are not executive vice presidents. They are Tony's buddies. Cody Rhodes, I give him credit. Yeah. He acted like an executive vice president. Yeah. Chris Jericho, who does not have the title of executive vice president, acts a lot more, more like yeah. executive vice president yeah. than they do. Uh -huh. You know, so, but they, they're a whole course in themselves. Yeah. They would get any reputable company sued for some of the nonsense that they pulled. Oh, yeah. When he got suspended the first time and they got on TV and were reenacting the supposed fight that happened back yes. then. So that kind of nonsense gets you sued and gets your company shut down. Exactly. World. But this is wrestling and yeah. people get away with some of the things that they get away with. But if I'm Tony... But it's, it's Tony Khan's fault. It's not oh, the yeah. Young Bucks. It's not Kenny Omega. It's not CM Punk. It's Tony Khan's fault. He did not intercede in this. He should have addressed these issues as soon as they come up. Mm -hmm. Hangman Page should have been suspended for going into business uh, yes, for himself, himself during mm -hmm. that interview. Yeah, the first time they had the uh, thing between the executive vice president and CM Punk, he should have sat them all down and told, "This is my company. I'm paying all of you. You're all going to get along, or some of you ain't going to be here." Exactly. Instead, he let it fester, and the executive vice presidents were just bound and determined they were going to get rid of CM Punk. Yeah. Well, you succeeded, but now the one person. So CM Punk comes out there. You heard the pop. Yes, exactly. I told you that WWE put up the video of his return on their yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah. 23 hours after they put that video up, that video had had over 3.5 million views. Yes, it did. So you may think CM Punk is a cancer and you may hate him, but he has fans mm -hmm. and he brings those fans with him. That's why the UFC gave him all that money. Exactly. For that you know attempt at... MMA, which was going to be a long shot mm -hmm. at his age and with his background and everything. But, but he, did, he it. did it. Give him credit yeah. for that. <coughs> and I'll be the first to say CM Punk has had issues in other companies too. Mm -hmm. you know, so oh, yeah. Most prima donnas you have to manage. But who hasn't had troubles in their companies? Right. But you have to manage prima donnas. You have to be able yeah. to manage those strong personalities. Right. And you can't just sit in your office and do nothing and think, oh, this will all blow over. Because right. it will never, ever blow over. Right. So this is this lies flat at the feet of Tony Khan. Yeah. And you're going to pay for it. If, if there was truly a wrestling war going over, the war is over. Oh, yeah. There'll be a distance number two, which is a shame. I, I would love to see AEW get to the same level as WWE because that gives the wrestlers more options. Exactly. But this is not going to be even close. Um, no, because Tony Khan doesn't know what in the crap he's doing. No, he is a fan. Uh-huh, exactly. And, like he does, you, and he's not surrounded. Right. I know that I would do the same horrible job if yeah. I was trying oh, to. Yeah, me too. We, yeah. could, we couldn't book a, a, a wrestling. We don't know thing. what we're doing. Yeah. We know what we like to watch, but we, yeah. we couldn't do that. No. So, instead of getting people that know how to do it, Mm -hmm. He has insisted on doing it himself, and this yeah. is what you have. Mm 
They can't draw people to live events. The ratings keep going down. And I just don't see anything that's going to change that. Right. And I'm very hopeful for the direction of WWE with Paul Levesque in charge. You know, one thing I noticed, and this just might be me not really paying attention, but um, when um, it seems when AEW has their um, their premium events, uh, their pay-per-views and whatnot, um, they seem to have these big matches that they want to fill Wembley Stadium, and they want to fill these huge arenas. You talk about AEW? Yeah. Yeah. And then, Saturday, Survivor Series War Games, they draw 17,000 to the United Center. It's not a huge... It's you know, They're not in a huge right. building. They're not in a... Now, they'll go to a 50,000-seat place, 40,000-seat place, maybe for WrestleMania. Yeah. That's why I said they'll but, go, but you know, um, this is just a regular... Yeah, that All-State Center is a 17,000, 20,000-seat stadium. Yeah. So Boy, they made a lot of noise. It was full. It was full. You could tell that. And why don't AEW look to fill more manageable places than trying to fill? One, I think it's ego. But the other thing you have to look at mm-hmm. is, and I don't think they can have those exclusive booking arrangements anymore. Oh, okay. But sometimes it's hard to get some of the smaller venues in town that you really like. So this was the death of a lot of territories. And I'll use St. Louis as an example mm-hmm. of what I think would have really hurt St. Louis. But in Atlanta, they used to go to the, uh, was it the Civic Auditorium or the City Auditorium? Whatever it was. Yeah. It was about a seven to nine, seven to 9,000 seat building mm-hmm. that they filled every week. Yeah. And it wasn't that expensive to run. Right. When they were forced, because they closed that, they were forced into the Omni, which was like 20,000 seats. Yeah. Well, that would be, you would think, oh, that's great. We got more capacity. But not if you're still only drawing seven to 9,000 Exactly. Pants, which is what they were doing. And it's a much more expensive building say, run. Yeah. The TV's not going to look as good. Mm-hmm. All of that TV, they weren't filming there. Yeah. But they did film some stuff there. But anyway, it's not going to look as good. When you go right. there and you see a bunch of empty seats, you're like, oh, well, this isn't the happening place to be anymore. Right. Whereas when you were at the city auditorium, everything's full. Oh, yeah, this is the place to yeah, be. Yeah, they're packed up to the rafters. Right. And you would have had the same thing in St. Louis. St. Louis would have had a hard time surviving, even though they were like an every three-week Friday mm-hmm. show. Sam would run one big card a year normally. At mm-hmm. the arena or the yeah. Checker Dome mm-hmm. when Ralston Purina owned it, which was about a 20,000 seat building. And I yeah. don't think they ever filled the whole 20,000. His retirement card set the attendance record for wrestling, and that was 19,700 something. Yeah. Because I was there, me and my sister were Yeah, there. I, I was not able to attend that one, and it made me upset. Yeah, Vicky and I went to that one. Um, but he'd do that once a year. The rest of the mm-hmm. time, he was at Keel, which would draw between seven, 8,000 fans. Right. And we were there a lot. <laughs> yeah. And he'd fill it up every yeah. three weeks. Well, it's Keel's not as expensive to run as the arena. Exactly. And I think that's what did Larry Matisic's promotion in when he ran that outlaw promotion for a year in 83. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He couldn't use Keel because that was already booked by uh, Geigel, mm-hmm. uh, Geigel and O'Connor, who were the St. Louis owners. Yeah. And also, I think Vince had a, a deal. He did. It wasn't exclusive, but he also yeah he did. The he had his too. cards at the keel too. Mm-hmm. So the only w- thing that Larry could get uh, consistently was the arena. Mm-hmm. 
and I went to several of those shows, they never drew probably more than 5,000 fans. So the first thing, there was a big curtain down about half of the arena. Yeah. So the the ring was pushed more towards like the goal, because you remember that was a rink. Yeah. Ice mm-hmm. rink. That was the mm-hmm. Blues home before they moved to the Sabbath Center. Yeah. It would be kind of pushed towards where like one of the goals would be. Oh, okay. So you'd have some floor yeah. seats, and then you'd have some seats around. But they probably drew 5,000, and they probably had it set up for 7 to 10. It was about half of the arena. Yeah. But you would go there, and you would look, and you'd see the whole half of the arena was closed off with a curtain. Yeah. And you knew it was very expensive to run that. Yeah. And he's only drawing five to 7,000 fans. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what did him in. So I don't know if this is ego. I don't know if they can't get into other places consistently, so they're taking these bigger venues. Uh-huh. You would think that there are smaller places in the towns that they could go to. Yeah. So if you're drawing two to 3,000 people, you should be looking for a two to 3,000 seat. Like if the, you uh, think you might... Shafe it's right. If you for, think you might get a, a just a, you know, a big crowd pop in or something like mm-hmm. that, maybe then you look for a venue that has four. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to be any bigger than that. Heck, if you're drawing two to 3,000 people, you might be able to book it for the pageant. Yeah, exactly. If you were in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. So you need to be looking for places like that. A lot of the early wrestling matches took place in opera houses. Oh, yeah. And places like that because you had the elevated stage. They put the mats down on that, Mm -hmm. and that's where the wrestlers would wrestle at. Yeah. That's why I said they, you know, some of the smaller. There's plenty of small arenas here in St. Louis, right? And, that they could, and you know, there's got to be plenty around the country. Yeah. If you're booking Knoxville and Louisville and um, Lexington and places like that, there are smaller venues. Around, oh yeah. You know, I'm not telling you you go to high school gymnasiums. I'm telling you, <laughs> that you a lot of wrestling promotions ran high school gymnasiums. I know. Gymnasiums, I remember that. Yeah. But and the armories. I know that they're a national company. They won't want to be in a high school, but you can find a smaller venue. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you can find a concert venue. You're going to set up a ring. Yeah, So exactly. if you've got a stage area, you can set up a ring. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to just be in some huge 20,000-seat auditorium and set it up for 3,000 seats. They gotta Heck, be, I remember, well... they got to be taking a bath on yeah. those events. This is uh, this was, this was happened a few years ago, that, um, and now the... the Staffordshire Inn isn't even standing anymore. But for our St. Louis fans, uh, I attended a uh, an outlaw <laughs> promotion there. Oh, you know? okay. You know, and uh, it was uh, it, the Staffordshire was on its way out then, but it was uh, still five hundred to a thousand yeah. people. You know, yeah. uh, South Broadway Athletic Club. That's that's a big crowd. Yeah, well, uh, South Broadway Athletic Club and Cronulla Sunny Morning Athletic Club. What could you fit in there? Two to three hundred people. Yeah, maybe. But you know, every time I went to one of those events, it was full. Right. Then that's what you yeah, want. Exactly. You want to fill your venue up. I mean, the, and these because wrestlers. What does a full venue look like? Oh, that's the place you want to be. Yeah, exactly. Well, if, you know, me and, me and my uh, friend used to uh, comment on uh, the guys that would come out first. He's like, oh, this guy's wrestling on, on the card opener because he's got to get back to his night job at the Denny's fry cooking. <laughs> Did you tell them that? We yelled it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure they appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. So what some of these wrestlers put up with, I tell you. But they deserve it. <laughs> if you, well, and if you can't take that, you shouldn't be in the public eye. Exactly. If you want to whine about what somebody said about you, first of all, you can say whatever you want about me on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it this yeah. week. Mm-hmm. 
if I don't know you, if I don't have a personal relationship with you, I couldn't care less. I did have one wrestler interact with me, and he laughed because of what I said. Uh, he had a his opponent backed up in the uh, corner, and he was doing the uh, Ric Flair knife edge chops on him. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Dang, dude, you just let yourself get b slapped." <laughs> and the guy didn't know it. He, 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 he started, "Yeah, he did get b slapped." <laughs> Well, at least they got to laugh at that. Probably not the guy that got slapped in the corner. Yeah. (laughs) He might not have thought too much of that. Oh, good gracious. Well, should we talk about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame before we get into the history topic, or should we save that? Uh, I tell you what, who do you think we're going to pee off more people with? Um, we won't make anybody mad with the history discussion. Let's do that first then. All right. Let's, let's keep them here until they... Yeah. <laughs> Warning, you may not agree with our opinions when we talk about the Pro Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, but you might. So. Oh, you mean the Dave Metzler stick uh, Hall of Fame? <laughs> yeah, you know, I looked through that. I can't take too many issues with the people that he selected mm-hmm. for particularly that inaugural class in 1996. Yeah. I think there are a couple of glaring omissions, which I'm going to talk about mm-hmm. there. I kind of wanted to talk about the polling. Now, I had told you initially when I thought, I said, I think that there are too many reporters who are fans of independent wrestling. Mm-hmm. But now that I've looked at some of the results, I'm not so sure that I was accurate on that. So, oh, okay. We'll, we'll save that until... Yeah, we'll we, don't want, we don't want to run everybody off right, right off the bat. <laughs> so, next, the next episode that you'll hear after this one on December 11th will be the completion of the discussions on Stanislaw Sabisco. And I don't want to really ruin that with what happens, but... One of the people that was a main player in that drama in 1925 was a wrestler by the name of Joe Stecker. Yeah. And Joe Stecker is one of the greatest American professional wrestlers of all time, a shooter and a hooker. Mm -hmm. During the uh, mid-19-teens, he was on the level of Ed Strangler-Lewis and probably could have beaten Frank Gotch. Yeah. At one point... Lewis passes him in the the teens, I think around 1917. He beats him. They had three shoot legitimate wrestling matches Mm -hmm. that were so boring, um, you know, people passed out from boredom. Yeah. People sleeping in the chairs and that. Well, heck, when when your matches went three and four hours. And with no change position. Exactly. One of the contests, they, they just basically stood there tied up for like an hour or two. Yeah. And ticked off the mayor of the town that the match was held in. Uh-huh. But Lewis wrestled extremely defensively in the first two matches because he didn't think he could beat Stecker. Well, yeah. I guess I'm putting words into Lewis's brain that he never said. Yeah. It appears that he was concerned Stecker was going to beat him because he wrestled extremely defensively. Gotcha. In the third match, he didn't wrestle as defensively, and he actually defeated Stecker. Mm-hmm. And then they were never really even after that. Yeah. Lewis always had the better of Stecker. Mm-hmm. But when Stecker emerges in 1913, 1914, and then he wins the American Heavyweight Championship in 1915, yeah. but is recognized as the world champion by the fans, mm-hmm. Stecker was a, a wonder. He was only 
19 when he starts wrestling in 1913. Mm-hmm. And when he was in high school, uh, Dr. Benjamin Roller was coming through uh, Nebraska uh-huh. and heard about this kid that was an excellent wrestler, <coughs> which is Joe Stecker. He so wasn't he, a Cornhusker, was he? No, he, did, he didn't go to University of Nebraska. He didn't go to any university that I know of. Uh, well, I, would have I think had to he just went into pro wrestling. I would have had to change my opinion on him. <laughs> yeah, no. But uh, Stecker, or Roller hears about this kid with this fearsome reputation of being mm-hmm. a great wrestler. So he decides to go have a friendly little shoot contest with him at the high school. Yeah. And almost gets beat oh. by Stecker. Um, and Roller said, this kid's going to be a world champion. Yeah. He starts his professional career the next year, and Farmer Burns brings a guy to test him, young Hussein. Mm-hmm. And Stecker, they, Burns thinks Hussein is going to stretch Stecker, and Stecker stretches Hussein, <laughs> who has to get disqualified because he was going to have to submit. Yeah. And so Burns starts working with the Stecker brothers. Mm-hmm. And... This is all around 1914, 1913, 1914, 1915. And Frank Gotch had retired in April of 1913, but everybody and their brother keeps challenging him. Alex Aberg has challenged him. Ed Strangler-Lewis, who's becoming a name in Everybody keeps coming out of the woodwork challenging Gotch. And Gotch is getting sick of it. Well, yeah. I mean, the man, <clears throat> he was not in his prime anymore. No. He's not as good physical shape. He's not a wrestler like he used to and be. And his wife really did not want him to wrestle anymore. Yeah. That'd be like me challenging Nolan Ryan to a pitching contest right now. Right. I'm sure I could probably out-pitch him now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a stretch. Uh, my 93-mile-hour fastball is pretty unhittable, so... <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. I just woke up. So, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, Stecker, because he's already worked with uh, Burns, and Burns believes this kid can shoot and beat anybody yeah. if they mess with him, he approaches Gotch, his former pupil, mm-hmm. and says, what about a match with Stecker? And you, you'll put him over uh-huh. because they're going to work. Yeah. You'll put him over, and then all these challenges will end and let him mess with the kid. The kid can handle it. Yeah. So Gotch likes that idea because he's mm-hmm. sick and tired of all these people challenging him and offering him money to come back. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I understand that he was number one. Everybody wants to, to, yeah, he, to he, be the man. He's like the retired gunfighter that yeah. everybody wants to challenge because if you beat him, you're the top yeah. gun. Because what did one wrestler say? To be the man, you got to beat, beat the, the man. man. But you got to remember, Gotch is not in prime in his prime no, anymore. So. No, Gotch it in nineteen fifteen was thirty eight. Yeah. So and he was he wasn't seriously training anymore. Yeah. So he has this training match with one of his uh, old training partners, Bobby Manigoff Senior. Mm-hmm. Bobby Manigroff Jr. would be a world champion in the late 40s, 50s. Yeah. This is his dad, Bobby Manigoff Sr. Okay. And they're having a training match, and Gotch gets his leg caught up in the mat, mm-hmm. kind of a fluke thing, and breaks his ankle. Ooh. So the, that match is off. Yeah. 
So instead, Stecker ends up wrestling Charlie Cutler in mm-hmm. the summer of 1915. When the international tournament's going on, they're trying to replace Scotch too. Cutler doing Cutler things, huh? Yeah, well, this this Cutler, <laughs> they worked it, but had he tried to shoot with Stecker, uh, he Stecker would have stretched him. Yeah. yeah. I have said, and I'll stand by this, at this point in time in Gotch's career, if he had had the training match with Manigoff mm-hmm. and he had wanted to have a contest with Stecker, Stecker would have beat him. Okay. Stecker was in his prime, he was young, and he was hungry. Ah, gotcha. You know, and Gotch was none of those things anymore. Yeah. So I firmly believe if they had had a contest, Stecker could have beat him. Yeah. But they weren't going to have a contest. They were going to work it. Gotch just wanted people to leave him alone. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. Yeah. But Stecker does. He wins the American title, but they, everybody immediately recognizes it as the world championship. And so the world championship is established again. Oh. So I didn't re- I didn't realize yeah, the that. world championship that lineage that they traced that the NWA took from the National Wrestling Association. Uh-huh. The National Wrestling Association also took that lineage themselves because <laughs> because they go back to Gotch and Hackenschmidt and, and all that. But that's not one title. Yeah, but that's what they because they, they just took somebody else's lineage. They they you know they trace back to because for a while they couldn't the states couldn't get straight who. The title holder was right. I mean, you know, it's... Stecker holds it for two years. He loses it to a gentleman named Earl Caddick from Iowa. Okay, I think that that match was a contest. Now, I always thought it was a work, mm-hmm. but because Mike Chapman believed both of the matches between Stecker and Caddick were a contest, mm-hmm. the second one is that one you told me about that we've seen on YouTube. Oh, from nineteen twenty or whatever. Yeah, that we'll yeah. review uh-huh. on another episode. Okay, that that's the match. The okay. second match. Yeah. I still think the second match was a work. Okay. But I do believe this first match was probably a contest. Actually. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. When I, uh, I'll i rewatch that second match and uh, see if I can see any obvious signs of a, of a work going yeah. on. So. And so Stecker from 1915 to 1970 is considered the world champion. Caddick mm-hmm. wins it, and then he wins it back from Caddick in 1920. Now, there was some kind of kabuki-ish trading back and forth between Stecker and Zabisco. Vladek, not Stanislaus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vladek, Zabisco during this time, they all claimed world title reigns, yeah. different world titles, because Caddick went into the Army and went to World War one not long after he won the world title. Oh, okay. So it was kind of iced for like two years. Yeah. So Lewis, no, Lewis, well, yeah, Lewis was involved in that. Lewis, Stecker, and Zabisco kind of trade the title for the two years that he's gone. Uh-huh. And then when Caddick comes back, he defeats Zabisco in what I believe was a work, which sets up the match with Stecker. Yeah. Which is a rematch from their 1917 match. Gotcha. But the reason I wanted to talk about Stecker, besides the fact that he is involved in the 1925 fiasco, mm-hmm. is because Stecker is the bridge between Gotch and Lewis. Yeah. He was the world champion in between that period when Gotch retires, and then Lewis emerges as the new shooter that nobody can beat. Right. And Stecker, in his day, couldn't be beat. Mm-hmm. If he would have beaten Lewis... Instead of the other way around, mm-hmm. he would be somebody that we would say, well, he was the greatest American. Because when you get down to it, the, when you get to the greatest American professional wrestler, it always comes down between Gotch and Lewis. Okay. It has to be those two guys. Yeah. If Stecker had beaten Lewis, Stecker might have denied Stecker to be and the Gotch. top guy. Yeah. 
And the only other person that really ever had a true claim to that was Stanislaus Zabisco, okay. who Gotch would not wrestle again after beating him in 1910, and who Lewis said, and realize Lewis is wrestling him when Zabisco's in his 40s. Yeah. And has been in Europe as a prisoner of war for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. He said the only guy that he thought that could beat him in a contest besides his training partner, Tootsmont, mm-hmm. is Zabisco. Ah. And because of what Zavisco did later on to the Gold Dust Trio, yeah, why would he still say that to Luthez 20 years after that yeah. if he didn't truly respect Zabisco and believe that about Zabisco? That's true. Yeah. So to me, the top four guys are always going to be those four guys. Okay. And um, Gotch is an interesting story, and it kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about when it comes to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. When I went into the project for Gotch versus Hackenschmidt, yeah, one of the earlier books that I wrote, George Hackenschmidt had been a hero of mine. He had a fantastic physique pre-steroids. Mm-hmm. I had read his book. I had read his biography. Um, he was a gentleman, a gentleman athlete, you mm-hmm. know, a brilliant guy, spoke several languages. I thought a lot of George Hackenschmidt. Theodore Roosevelt said if he couldn't be himself, he always wanted to be George Hackenschmidt. Oh, okay. Frank Gotch I saw as a dirty wrestler because of some of the things I had read about him. And mm-hmm. uh, that opinion was shared by Luthez in his book Hooker and some other things. Yeah. I did not have near the respect for Gotch because of some of the foul, uh, fouling he did in the bouts with Jenkins and Hackenschmidt and that, mm-hmm. as I did Hackenschmidt. But as I researched that book, because you've got to go into it with an open mind, you can't be that biased. Right, exactly. As I wrote that book, I had newfound respect for Gotch. And I knew I was wrong. Gotch easily defeated Hackenschmidt both times. Yeah. And may have always been able to do that. If they had wrestled when he wanted to wrestle him in 1904, Hackenschmidt probably would have had a better chance. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that he could have ever beaten Gotch. Right. Gotch... To me, it's him or Lewis mm-hmm. as number one. I have my opinion on that, but since I put that in the free booklet I give to everybody, I, I'll let them read that to <laughs> see <laughs> what go. that opinion is. So I can't see how you can call yourself a historian or a reporter if you are so biased in your views that you would hold people out of a Hall of Fame or put right. people into a Hall of Fame just because you personally like them. Right. So, on the reporter side, when I heard that Roman Reigns was number 20, mm-hmm. so he didn't get in this year, and if you look at the top 30 where they rank, uh-huh. he ranked 20 out of 30 with the reporters. Yeah. He ranked 8 out of 30 with the historians. Mm-hmm. 4 out of 30 with the active performers and 7 out of 30 with the retired performers. Okay. You may hate the WWE. Mm-hmm. You may not like their style of wrestling. There's no way on earth you cannot say that Roman Reigns has not been the biggest star in professional wrestling for the last 6 or 7 years. Exactly. And any Hall of Fame for wrestlers he should be in. Now, I've always had a problem with you putting people in a Hall of Fame mm-hmm. when they're still actively the world champion. Yeah. I think they should at least be approaching retirement right. or retired before you do that, but they don't do that. Mm-hmm. So under the rules that they have, 
I don't see any way that you can hold on. Right. So based on hearing about that, I was very uh, biased about. You know, I, I just think these reporters are independent wrestling fans and they're letting their biases, but I'm wrong. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you why I'm wrong. So Sergeant Slaughter finally got in this year. Mm-hmm. I think he's been deserving for a number of years. He was one of the biggest stars in the 1980s. Right, correct. Amongst reporters, he ranked number two out of 30. Mm-hmm. Amongst historians, he ranked 13. Retired performers, he was number one out of 30. Oh, wow. Active performers, he was ranked 30th out of 30. So maybe we ought to take the ballot away from the active performers. You know what, yeah. Do you know anything about the sport that you're involved in or the exhibition you're involved in? Exactly. That's horrible. Yeah. So it's a little bit all over the place when I look at some of these. Yeah. So I have to say that my preconceived notions were wrong. Well, so were mine, actually, because what did I tell you? I said Dave Messler should take the... Uh, ballots out of the hands of the historians and reporters and give them to the wrestlers and inactive wrestlers. Right, which I said, well, I don't know about that because Ole Anderson will never get yes. in. Mm-hmm. CM Punk might never get in. and that's So CM Punk, you would expect, because on one of the sites I read about, the, the Young Bucks were on the ballot this year and did not get in. Thank God. Which I have to say I'm very surprised about. I mean, these a lot of the readers of the Observer, yeah, are independent wrestling fans and big Buck supporters. Yeah, but and on this not. website that I was reading about some of the stuff today, mm-hmm. the person that's writing this, who's supposed to be a reporter, says, "Well, you know, being a fan of the Young Bucks, when well, you shouldn't be that big of a fan, you know, mm-hmm. or you shouldn't be a reporter." But look at it that you're just like, "Nah, I wouldn't do that." So, if they're fans of the Young Bucks, they're probably not going to be fans of CM Punk. Right. Since he beat them up. Right. But reporters, he was 15 out of 30. Yeah. Which wasn't bad at all. Historians, he's 25 out of 30. Now, mm-hmm. I can't take the piss out of the historians. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the length of his career and everything, maybe he needs to wrestle a few more years. I don't think so. Not right. under the criteria that they have here. Right. Biggest box office star in AEW, going to be a big box office star in WWE. Uh-huh. I can't take issue with him being 25th, or I would put him in, but I can't. They, I have an issue with the historians later, which I'll take. Okay. 17 out of 30 amongst active performers. This is where I see the Ole Anderson effect. Uh-huh, yeah. Because CM Punk, I... Always enjoyed his matches. Mm-hmm. I enjoy him as a personality. I've enjoyed listening to his interviews in and out of the ring because mm-hmm. he seems to be such a straight shooter. But I don't know CM Punk personally. CM Punk could be a jerk. Yeah, exactly. And I whether he's a jerk, a nice guy, or somewhere in between, I think he's difficult to get along with sometimes. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the thing that's followed in whatever company he's been in. Yeah. That he can be very acerbic, very to the point, you know. And you know, so we, I think that the enemies he's made in the locker room mm-hmm. that could make it very hard for him to get into all of it. Which, if you look at their criteria, he definitely deserves. It. Yeah, the British Bulldogs, twenty fourth amongst reporters, sixteenth amongst historians, twenty fourth among active performers, and sixteenth amongst retired performers. 
I'm not going to take too much of an issue with it because the Bulldogs were only a team for a couple of years. Yes, they were. Dynamite Kid went in in the inaugural class of 1996. Uh-huh. I don't think Davy Boy is in. Yeah. So Davy Boy, I would say personally, just like with Greg Valentine, mm-hmm. if I was making the rules for the Hall of the Fame, they yeah. would be just right underneath that. Right. Because... They were never the top heel or baby face, mm-hmm. you know. They were always really good upper mid-card to yeah. main events. But they never carried a company. No. But when you look at all of the people they have put in, yeah, and, and we'll talk about who they did put in, I don't think you can argue with Davey Boy being a Hall of Famer. Right. With what he's done and him and Brett selling out Wembley like they did. Yeah. You know. So, here is the one. Bobby Davis did not get in. Mm-hmm. Bobby Davis was Buddy Rogers' manager, the first really prominent manager yeah. in pro wrestling, who I think should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was 12 for reporters, 9 by the active performers, and 12 by the retired performers. Hmm. The retired performers being 12 shocks me. Yeah. Here's my issue with the historians. He was 10th out of 30 with the historians. I definitely think he should have been above Roman Reigns with the historians. Well, he should have been above Los Hermanos Dynamita. Yeah. uh, Who probably will get in eventually. Uh, The Briscoe brothers, great tag team, weren't together very long. Yeah. That's really, I'm looking at that at... He Bobby Davis is ten and Slaughter is thirteenth among historians. Who are these historians? I was gonna is say, this who, Tim Hornbaker, Scott Teal, Scott Cornish, right? Or is this Joe historian? I think know? this is the historian that they got out of the back alley for a bottle of Boone's Farm. <laughs> now this is one you're gonna go, huh? But actually, their career they definitely deserve to be in there as yeah. the beauty pair. They were Japanese wrestlers from the eighties. They were huge, yes. huge uh, mm-hmm. stars then. Reporters say were 16. Uh, <coughs> Sato and um, I can't remember the other. I was going to say, but, I remember Judy, but I can't remember the other one's name. 16 for uh, reporters, 6 for historians, 13 for active performers, yeah. 2 for retired performers. Can't yeah. argue with that one. No. Uh-uh. no. And Rocket and Perez finally got in. Yeah. Um, and I think that they're, they're a no-brainer. You would never put Perez in by himself. No, but, but with... But with Rocket, they yeah. were the biggest stars in New York for 10 years. I was going to say, they were one of the most prominent tag teams ever. Yeah, and helped put New York back on the map. Yeah. So, who did get in, and then I will talk about who I think are some of the glaring omissions. And then mm-hmm. We still got a review to do. Yeah, we do. Whoa. This so, is going to be an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, at least. <laughs> so, pretty good for a bonus episode. Yeah. So, who got in? Tomohiro Ishii. Macho Man Randy Savage. He's He's been in. I know he has. I just like to say his name. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's been in. Oh, and the one surprise that I, I have to applaud them for, I'll tell you in that one in just a second. Uh-huh. Sergeant Slaughter finally got in. Yeah. We, we believe he Now, don't they have to have 60%? Yes. Of the, yeah. And he okay. finally got it. Yeah. Blue Panther, uh, Mexican I was going to say, he was a luchador, star. wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Big star in Mexico. Uh-huh. Jack and Jerry Briscoe as a tag team. I still like Jerry Briscoe better than his brother, though. Yeah, but he was so overshadowed by his brother. I know. The beauty pair of Jackie Sato, or Jackie Sato and Maki Yuta. Mm-hmm. Antonio Inoki 
or I'm sorry, Tony Tony Toki. He's been in for a while. I was going to say, he what? Wait in a minute. <laughs> Forgive me, Antonina Rocca. Who also went in in 96. But uh, now they're in as a tag team. Antonina Rocca and Miguel Perez. Yeah. And the one that shocked me, but it was such a pleasant shock. Mm-hmm. George Kidd, who you've probably never heard of. I had not heard of him until I read Adrian Street's biographies. George Kidd was a huge star in the UK. He mm-hmm. was a middleweight, I believe. Middleweight uh-huh. or welterweight. Scottish champion. He was Adrian Street's hero when he was a kid. Oh. And when he met him, never meet your heroes. Yeah. The first time he met him, kid was a jerk to him. Ah. Uh. So when they actually had a match together, mm-hmm. he impressed George Kidd so much that George Kidd became his mentor. And he mentored Adrian oh, through okay. a lot. Uh, and was a huge star, but this is before TV, before mm-hmm. all of that. And he got in this year, which I think is a very worthy induction. Yeah, absolutely. And kudos to the voters. I've been taking issue with some of the things you've done, but kudos for that. Yeah. That, that was excellent. And I don't want to get too much into who didn't get in, because there's some I definitely don't believe should be in. Yeah. Um and there's people that have strong feelings that they should be in. Mm-hmm. But I have strong feelings they shouldn't be in. Right. So let me tell you people who I think have been skipped and should be in. Uh-huh. So, and I looked to make sure that Tom Pax was in. He was. Yeah. Because Sam Tom, Schneck, He had to be in there. Yeah. He started, well, he didn't start it. His uncle, John Canto, started it. But Contos was only here for like a year or two. I was going to say, yeah. Pax was... built St. Louis into being the wrestling powerhouse. Yeah. And Sam built on that. But it was Pax who laid that foundation. Yeah. But he's in. But most of the people that I think are egregious misses happen to be promoters. Uh-huh. And Roy Welch, to me, is the biggest one. He and uh, his partners... Which was not only Goulas, you know, Goulas, Welch Enterprise, but yeah, but uh, Pat Malone, uh, the Green Shadow, uh-huh. they really built Southern wrestling. Yeah, and the Southern wrestling that exists today is because of Roy Welch. How you can have a Hall of Fame and not have Roy Welch in there yeah. as a wrestler and a promoter and a booker, and he taught Jerry Jarrett booking, one of the best bookers. Oh yeah. How Roy Welch can't be in there is beyond me. Ed McLemore, who started a very successful promotion in Dallas mm-hmm. and eventually would sell it to Fritz, or his family sold it to Fritz after he died right. in the 60s. And Morris Siegel, who was the Houston promoter before Paul Bosch. Okay. I think all three of those are glaring omissions in the Hall of Fame. They, yeah. I t- um, Yeah. I think all three of them. You're, Stecker's you're in, Caddick's in. Caddick is the one that he only had like a five to seven year professional career. Mm-hmm. He left very early. Um, he only wrestled for like a year after the match with Stecker in 20. Mm. By 21 or 22, he was a full-time businessman, and that's what he did for the rest of his life. Yeah. I believe he had car dealerships. Oh, okay. Either car dealerships or the oil business. He was yeah. in one of the two. But Caddick is in. He was definitely one of the premier. No, was a uh, was Johnny Londis in there? Jim Londis. I mean John Londis. John Jim, uh, Jim Londis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Londis is definitely in. Lewis, Stanislaus, Sabisco, all of yeah. them are in, as they should be. 
and I guess that's one of the things that frustrates me when I hear how wrestling has evolved. Mm-hmm. And they put George Kidd in, so I can't take too much umbrage out of any of them. Yeah. But you would never, being a baseball fan, say, well, baseball has evolved so much from the dead ball era. Yeah. Aren't you impressed that I know that there was a dead ball era? You know what? Actually, did, did I, I am, because you're did, not a baseball fan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know so little about baseball, but... Nobody would say baseball has evolved so much that Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and all those guys are meaningless. Yeah. And nobody would say football, those leather helmet-wearing guys. It's evolved so much that Red Grange and George Hallis and all those guys, those guys don't matter. You would never say that. No. And you But know, in wrestling, it's like, well, before the independent wrestling craze, this was never that good. So that, no. Yeah. If it wasn't for... I'm going to say a name that isn't in the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to argue too strongly that he should be. Mm-hmm. But when I see some of the other people, I definitely think it could be an omission. J.H. McLaughlin. You ever heard of J.H. McLaughlin? Yeah. Colonel mm-hmm. J.H. McLaughlin. Yeah. James Hiram McLaughlin. He was the he started wrestling professionally in the 1860s. Mm-hmm. And he is the first American professional wrestler to live entirely off his earnings in the professional wrestling. Oh, okay. Most wrestlers, even up into the early 19-teens and 20s, I think Warren Bockwinkle, Nick Bockwinkle's dad had a business. Yeah. Uh, Henry Moses Dufer, the Collar and Elbow World Champion in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. He was a tailor. Yeah. Most of those guys <laughs> had day jobs. You know, I have a day yeah. job I love, so yeah. I get to write about the things I want to write about, yeah. not the things well, I have to write And you know, as back in the 70s, um, professional athletes weren't making the salary no, that they make now. No, not what they're making today. And you know, some of these guys during the off season were car dealers, yeah, furniture salesmen, stuff like that. It just amazes me. Um, but you're talking about the evolution of you know evolving right. of sports. So McLaughlin uh, and uh, Dufer uh-huh. and William Muldoon led to Farmer Burns and Evan Strangler Lewis mm-hmm. and uh, Tom Jenkins, Frank Gotch being able to be professional wrestlers. And it just built on that. Without those guys, mm-hmm. this independent wrestling craze would not have existed. Yeah, that's true. Um, I so do, I interrupted you. You had a thought there. Well, that's okay. I was Well, I was going to go back to, you know, even... I was going to sneak in a NASCAR reference that... Oh, sneak a NASCAR reference. If you tell my me... My grandson's probably going to force me... To watch that. You look back in the 1960s, Richard Petty. Some of these guys that, you know, that are synonymous with racing now, if they didn't do it, you know, you can't say, oh, it's evolved so much that those guys don't matter anymore. Right. Petty had a shade of blue named after him. Yeah. I mean, come on. You know, it's yeah. just, if the Bobby Allison's and the Richard Petty's and the Dave Marcus's of the world, if they didn't get out there... And haul their family car to the track, race it, put the doors back on afterwards, and drive it home. Right. There would be no NASCAR to do. Yeah. So nothing is so evolved that the history of it doesn't matter anymore. Exactly. Oh, I do have one thing after you get through, though. I... Oh, I think I've ranted about that quite enough. So I want to apologize to the reporters who I just dismissed as independent wrestling fans. I was wrong about that. Uh, um, One thing that I came across the other day uh, Matt Bourne who is a, a, a who was a good wrestler 
in his time. He was. Uh, saddled with some... Uh, also uh, had some issues here and there. Yeah, but, you know, saddled with some unfortunate gimmicks. Yes. One of his most unfortunate gimmicks, I believe, was when he was Big Josh. Yeah, that was that was even worse than Doink the Clown. Doink the Clown at least drew a little bit of money. Well, you know what, though? Who in, WC, who in the world thought in WCW to be okay to bring a live bear to the ring? My guess is Jim Hurd. I, I can't remember when he did that, huh. but I think that was during the Hurd administration. I don't think it could have been during Watts. No, but I was like, who thought it'd be a good idea to let Matt Barn bring this dancing bear to the ring? Because all these people, I was like, my God, I would have left the building. Yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway, go ahead. I just, that just shocked the crap out of me when yeah. I found that out. And I don't want people to think that I hate independent wrestling. CM Punk came from the independents. Mm -hmm. Samoa Joe came from the independents. My view on independent wrestling is much like my view on AEW. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to watch five hours to see two good matches. Right, exactly. And my issue with independent wrestling has always been you find a few diamonds and a bunch of coal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's because they just, most of the time when you think of independent wrestling, uh -huh. you think of people flying around at 100 miles an hour. But it's like I told you earlier. If you go to a movie, if you go to a sporting event. Yeah. And from the second it starts, it's a hundred miles an hour, and it just keeps moving, and it, you know it doesn't drop off, it doesn't build, right? It's just a bunch of action, and you're just like, well, okay, now I'm exhausted, and I don't really know what I just saw, right? Whereas if you have a good movie, they just don't start out in the very beginning going a hundred miles an hour, never slowing up, right? It builds to something. Right. Then it drops so it can register with the audience what happened. Mm -hmm. Then it starts building. And eventually you build to a climax of the movie. Yeah. Then you have the close, which would take you five or ten minutes tops. Yeah. But you've taken them on a ride. It's like being on a roller coaster. Uh -huh. You know, you go up with the anticipation, and then it drops. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the reason it goes up slowly initially is to build that anticipation. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're getting ready to drop. Entertainment does the same thing. Yeah. You have to slow down enough so that people can register. Yeah. WWE does not do that. What no. they do, for the most part, I'm very hopeful under Paul Levesque this will change. Mm -hmm. But most of the time what they do is bore you to death because you don't ever see any wrestling on their program. You just see a bunch of comedy vignettes. Right. Which is terrible comedy. Uh, Vince McMahon... His sense of humor was only understood and funny to Vince McMahon. Uh-huh. So well, it had to be so to produce we, Fuji we, Vice. We had that for years. and But there was wrestling back then. Yeah. Over the last 10 years, they couldn't take most of the wrestling off the wrestling show. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Every once in a while, they'll break out a match, and then you're like, well, oh, I've seen these people wrestle 20 times before. Why do I want to watch this? Mm -hmm. Where is the next bloodline skit yeah. or... Uh, when is the judgment day coming out? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When's Cody going to come out and give a speech? So they have taken it and taken most of the wrestling out of the wrestling. It really was becoming sports entertainment mm -hmm. with very little sports. Yeah. I'm hopeful Triple H is going to change that around. 
But it's not like I think that WWE is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. I just, if I've got to choose between the two to watch, I'm going to watch probably WWE. Yeah. If there's a Buddy Matthews match or uh, Malachi Black Mm -hmm. or somebody I'm remotely interested, yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, if I see a... MLW match with Jacob Fatu, I'm interested in. I'll watch it. Yeah. I don't think I've watched Impact Wrestling for years. Yeah. Um, and Ring of Honor, I was watching before uh, Tony bought it. They do say that that's going to be on YouTube. I might look and see oh, if, okay. if that's decent or not. <clears throat> but I'm not going to watch a six or seven hour pay per view to see two matches that would be good. Well, you know what I did the other day when Survivor Series came on? I fast-forwarded to the very last match so I could watch Drew McIntyre beat up Cody Rhodes. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, you know, I want to see the things that I'm interested in. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not really excited about what they're doing with McIntyre's character, turning him heel, but, you know. Let's see what happens. I think, yeah. they could, I think that could rejuvenate him. Mm-hmm. And then he could always turn back face after he's, Beaten up a few people. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, going back to the independent wrestling, um, you I know, just don't want people to think, oh, he hates independent wrestling. He doesn't give it a fair chance. No, I've seen yeah, plenty yeah. of independent wrestling. Um, I watched Young Bucks matches when they were with Ring of Honor. Yeah. I, I'm not saying, oh, I hate the Young Bucks. I think their stuff is terrible. Oh, I do. I think they. <laughs> I just think they move too fast and they don't let things register. Yeah. They do have uh, some talent. Kenny Omega, I saw the early matches with him and Kota Ibushi in Japan mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. I th- had two thoughts about this. Wow, these guys can do some amazing things. Uh-huh. And they're both going to be in a wheelchair before they're in their 50s. Yeah. And I still hold that that's probably the case. Omega does not move like he used to. Yeah. You, know, you could tell. That, that Japan style is a hard style. Yeah, well, that EOS guy is not going to be able to walk. She keeps no, on doing she can put doing. trash cans on her and jumping off the top of cages. But, um, you know, I've been to some wrestling shows uh, here in St. Louis, uh, the MMWA, down at the South Broadway Athletic Club. Yeah, and, I used to watch that when they had Giant Assassin and Big Daddy and yeah, all that. Well, like I said, sometimes we go down there because it's 11 bucks to get in. It's not a lot of money. Concessions are cheap. And it's a good two-hour show. Yeah. These guys are never going to be on TV. These these guys are probably in their, you know, late teens or late 20s, early 30s. You know, time's sneaking up on them. But they're, they look like they're having a good time. And they put on a good show for us. All right. So I liked And you know what that wrestling. is? That's independent wrestling. Yeah. And that's what I like. That's what I like about it. It's independent. I have, in fact, I'm waiting for uh, to Broadway Athletic Club to, you know, put their schedule out for next year to see what they're going to be doing. Well, you stuff. know, I didn't watch wrestling for, it wasn't quite 10 years, it was probably seven years. Mm-hmm. And what brought me back was I worked with a wrestling fan and he recommended to me ROH mm-hmm. and NXT. Ah. And those two reminded me of the old days of the territories. Yeah. Now, I will say we do tend to look back on the 80s with rose-colored glasses because I've watched some of it, and I'm like, you know, yeah. this isn't quite as good as I remember. Now, world-class, 83, mm-hmm. 84, is as good as I remember it. Yeah. Mid-South, I didn't get to see the earlier stuff. Yeah. That was fantastic. Oh, yeah, it was. And Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling was pretty good for mm-hmm. the most part. 
but I didn't get to see those back then. And the territories, you and I started watching wrestling during the end of the territory days. Yes. I became a fan in 78 or 79. Mm -hmm. You became a fan in the early 80s. By 86, the war was pretty much over. There were two companies left. Yeah. Well, in 87. UWF was bought in 87. And AWA was on its way out. Yeah. Because their big draw back then was uh, Stan Hansen versus Jerry the Milkman Milliken. Yeah, that, that was a terrible wrestling program. Yeah, it was. But, you know, we got, because they were partners with uh, Geigel and O'Connor, mm-hmm. we got AWA on Saturday night, and we had, before Crockett bought them, we had that Central States wrestling program for like Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was god-awful. Yeah. So you'd have Central States at 10, and you'd have AWA at 11. Well, AWA for like six months had Brody and Crush and Blackwell. Yeah. So it actually looked almost decent in comparison to Central States. Yeah. Well, that's what that was it. some bad wrestling. I remember on Sunday so mornings. We, we do tend to look at it through <laughs> rose-colored glasses. It wasn't all great. UWF, WCCW, and WWF. And then on Saturday nights, it was WCW. Always. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I tell you what, I used to get so mad at WCW. Their their uh, TV time limit. We're going to go until it. Yeah. And then something and always happens. There always be some brawl right at the end. <laughs> yeah. Next week, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, Jane finds his workout videos or something. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway. So it, it wasn't all sunshine, roses, and yeah. lollipops. We're, we're not that. Of course, we're a lot well, older, too, now. It's, but, you know, I you did... Know, speak for yourself. I just did a hike that was a half marathon. So. You did do a 13.1... Or 13.3. Oh, was it 13.6? 13.6. Yeah, I tell you what... Now, believe me, my knees paid for it for the next day or two. Well, I tell you I what... Like, why did I do that again? You're more of a person than I am, because I could never do that. I've always wanted to conquer that trail. Mm-hmm. When I was... Well... I think I told you, when I was doing that hiking merit with the boys, because mm-hmm. Trey got the gold medal of achievement. That's, like, equal to the Eagle Scout in yeah. the Royal Rangers. When he was doing that, he didn't want to do the, uh, the swimming or life-saving merit. He wanted to do the hiking. Uh-huh. And he would be the only one that ever did the hiking merit. Well, Caleb was talking about getting his GMA, too. Uh-huh. I said, well, I'll tell you what, we're all going to do it once, because I had plantar fasciitis at the time. Oh, yeah. I, and I didn't know when it was going to go away, so I said, I'm not going to hike 65 miles now and hike 65 miles six months from now. You guys are going to do it together. do it together. And so they were the first two rangers ever in their group to get the hiking. Oh, merit. that's cool. But it was 65 miles, so it was four or five-mile hikes, three 10-mile hikes, and a 15-mile hike. Oh, okay, gotcha. And you could do the 15 over two days. Uh-huh. So we'd mapped it out, and we were sampling all the trails around the area. Yeah. Cliff Cave Park, did all them. And the one trail, all the rest of them were easy to moderate, mm-hmm. moderate to hard. The one trail that was just marked hard was Chubb Trail. Yeah. And it's because of that West Tyson side. Yeah. Because it goes up to like 1,200 feet from the uh, River Valley floor. And that thing, when I say it goes up, I measured it on my Garmin. Seven-tenths of a mile straight up. Woo! Between mile marker three and mile marker two. Uh-huh. Then when you get to mile marker two, you start going down. Ah. And that's what took me a long time. 
So I made the first three and a half miles of that hike because the Lone Elk side's flatter. Yeah. And you're going down through the Merrimack River Valley. I did that first because you only got to come down from the parking lot. Yeah. I did that first three and a half miles in, in one hour and 20 minutes. Oh, okay. I did that six miles through because it's an out and back. So mm-hmm. you go three miles into West Tyson, three miles back out. Yeah. Doing that six miles took me four hours. Woo. And it was the downs. Yeah. Going up, I'd get my uh, thing back. So I was going up, I was doing about two mile an hour pace, two and a half mile an hour pace. Mm-hmm. Going down, it was taking me 45 minutes an hour going down. Oh. Because I had to be careful of my footing. Yeah. There was leaves and my feet were sliding. It's all rock and earth and, and all that. Yeah. And so when I got there, I was at, it was at 3 o'clock mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I got back to that mile marker 3. So I've got three and a half miles left. Yeah. And the parking lot's there. So I was either, it's either call you or finish it. Right. Because once you get going on that last three and a half mile, you're running along the Missouri River. So the, or Missouri. Merrimack. Merrimack River. Yeah. The only way, once you start that three and a half miles, the only way you're coming out of there is you call the Rangers and they come get you the Kubota. <laughs> and they ain't going to be happy about having to do that. No. <laughs> so once you do it, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. So when I sat down on that rock, I could barely bend my knees. And I was sitting there, I'm like, this is just pain. Mm-hmm. Cardio-wise, I'm fine. Muscle-wise, I'm fine. It's just my knees are killing me. Yeah. This is just the arthritis pain. Mm-hmm. And I've already got 10 miles done. I've I got the hardest part behind me. Well, when you got when you told me, when you texted me and said that you got, you, you're got you down to the last three miles or whatever, I was like, he's got it. I don't have to worry about coming to get him yeah. now. He's He's got it. So I'm like, I'm finishing this thing. So I got up, and it took me an hour and 40 minutes this time because <laughs> I was still... Hurting from going through West oh, Tyson, yeah. but yeah, I finished at four forty-three. Oh, very good. Started at nine ten, finished at four forty-three. But yeah, thirteen and point six miles. Yeah, well, like I said, you're better. And now that I've done that, am I going to do it again? I don't think no. so. But well, I'll find something else. You know, my biggest hike ever was up to the top of Tom Sock Mountain. That's a yeah. hike. Uh, yeah, but this was—we're talking twenty years ago when I did that, and yeah. it was still tough. Yeah. <laughs> That's a high. That's that's the highest point in the state. Yeah, believe me. I, I when I got to the top, I was I was quite winded, but I made it. <laughs> yeah, but I could I probably couldn't make it now. I never I wouldn't be able to. Either my knees or my lungs would get out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm going to do that again. I, I yeah. conquered the trail. I, I don't need to do that again. Mm-hmm. But I'll come up with something. Else. There you go. Yeah. So should we get to? Uh, our review yeah i think we we, we should um so this is available on youtube and mm-hmm. remember you can always go find the links at for the show notes at kinsermanjr.com slash episode i guess this is going to be episode 38.5 38.5 yeah <laughs> this is a bonus episode it's a yeah. 0.5 one yeah yeah so it'll be 38.5 you can get the show notes there and this is Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling in the summer of 1983. It's before their more famous dog well, collar well, match. This is probably what led up to the dog, dog collar match. It was. It was match. part of that series. Because, well, let me just go ahead and throw it out there. There was no wrestling in this match. <laughs> yeah. It was lots of punching, lots of kicking, lots of choking. Uh, this was just... Uh, 
the old Pier 6 brawl, mm-hmm. uh, Donnie Brook. Uh, there was almost no wrestling in this old In fact, do, do you remember a hold? Uh, I think um, Greg Valentine did a... Uh, he dropped Piper on his stomach or crossed his knee. That's right. He did a stomach yeah. breaker. Mm-hmm. I think that was the only move in the whole match. I think so, yeah. The rest of it was punching forearms, kicks... And I will say the little rope-a-dope in the corner, that was a little bit of exposure. Exposure, yeah. But for the most part, it was an interesting, intense, fast-paced match. That was one of those things that went 100 miles an hour from the start. And for the 15, 10, 20 minutes we watched it is on, you're just holding your breath. Yep. Because they were, I mean... But... It registered. It did register. Yes, it did. Because you know when they when they hammered him with the forearms and yeah. knocked him back of the ropes, Piper didn't immediately come back with something. You know, he sold. Valentine sold. Yeah, they did. They let things register for the fans, and they would slow it down a little bit to milk it. Yeah. Which, as you pointed out, they don't do that anymore these right. days. And they didn't start at 100 miles an hour because you remember Valentine did the old heel jumping out of the oh, ring. Oh, that's that, right. Yeah, he was like putting yeah. his hands up and making mercy. That was like the first minute or two. But then when him and Piper got into it, they mm-hmm. got into it. That was... And it was hard. impressive to see a young Roddy Piper. Yeah. Because a lot of people well, probably... Re- a young Greg Valentine, yeah. too. You know, because a lot of people probably remember Valentine and Piper... From their WWE days, yeah, you know, but uh, God, I remember seeing Piper on Georgia up there with Gordon Soley. Yeah, doing. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. I used to love to go down to Grandma's uh-huh. because they got cable in Scott City in 1979. Yes, they did. We got cable in St. Louis City in 1986. Mm-hmm. But W Grandma had WTVS, so you go down there, you could watch Georgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The six oh five on a yeah. Saturday night. Yeah, if she and she really didn't care. She didn't care though. If I ask her early on, she normally said, "Yeah, just remind me when it comes on." Yeah. Well, she was usually too busy talking dealing with the adults and. Well, and she always liked, but I can't because I never got into anything, and uh-huh. I didn't mind going to the antique stores with her, which yeah. she really liked. Mm-hmm. So we go to the antique stores. We'd go get something to eat. And then we'd be back in time for me to watch uh, the wrestling. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that. That was good times. You went to the antique stores with Grandma? Yep. Man, I was, we always went to the orchard. No, we always went to the antique stores because I love books. So I'd go into the book section. I'd be looking at books. Yeah. And I never was like, Grandma, are we leaving yet? Grandma, are we leaving yeah. yet? Because I'd just go look at the book section. She'd come get me yeah. and say, hey, I'm ready to go now. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, we always go to... Uh, Diebold's down there in Benton, or we went up to Jackson to Pioneer Orchard. Um, you know where she used to like to take me to was that Chaffee Dinner Theater. Oh there. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the all-you-can-eat buffet in Chaffee. Yes, because mm-hmm. when I got older, she was like, "Boy, you could put away a lot of food." I was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, it's deceptive, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I work out a lot." Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, my, my favorite story of all time, though, is we are kids in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm 160, 170 pounds. Yeah. You are 250 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and Grandpa took us to the buffet on the way down to the lake. We were like, fishing. He's like, <laughs> yeah. 
I got Dan here with me today. I'm going to get my money's worth here at the buffet. <laughs> and I out-ate you. <laughs> Grandpa's like, who in the world would have thought you could out-eat Dan? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm coming back with eggs and bacon. Like, here, you was coming back with a pound of bacon on your plate. I was like, damn. <laughs> well, he got his money's worth. Yeah, he, he did. Just, he just didn't realize he was going to get it out of both of us. You know, that was one thing that was neat that uh, I like enjoying going with your family down to Tishomingo and uh, fish oh, yeah. and stuff like that. That was always a good time. And what would I do? I would drive the boat for Dad and Grandpa, and I would read my wrestling magazines. Yeah. <laughs> I'd take my wrestling magazines with me because I didn't fish. I'd drive them to wherever they want, drop anchor, read my magazines, and then Grandpa would say, hey, let's go over to Cove there. Or Dad say, hey, yeah. let's go over to this Cove. Pull the anchor up, drive over to where they want to drop it again. <laughs> Go back to read yeah. my wrestling magazine. I read all those after mags. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that was all made up stuff back in the day when I was reading it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. They you, made it sound believable even though it was. Remember, I used to get a, uh, I'm sure this probably tore Lloyd Zimmerman up, <laughs> but uh, one of my Christmas presents every year was a, a subscription to PWI. Remember I had all those PWIs? Oh, yeah. And I'd be like, you want to read these? Because I'm done <laughs> sure that did because your dad had the same attitude as my dad why are you watching that fake stuff uh, what it was with dad dad was a boxing fan oh yeah uh-huh. he loved boxing mm-hmm. and to him boxing which it is they don't fix fights people don't take dives they no. fix the judges yeah dad loved boxing and to him if you like wrestling you believed all that fake stuff they had you fooled yeah and I think that's why it annoyed him um but he wasn't too bad. I mean, he took us to the wrestling matches in 1982. Yeah. And I'll never forget it because it was September, October 82. David Von Erich was wrestling Harley Race for the Missouri State Championship. Mm-hmm. And there are 20,000 people chanting, go, David, go. go. The floor is shaking in the arena. Uh-huh. And we look over, and Dad is sitting next to Mom with his head down asleep. Because <laughs> he all <laughs> fell asleep that time of night. I'm like... How on earth could Eddie, it's the most impressive thing I ever saw in my life, he slept through 20,000 people <laughs> screaming and stomping, go David, go, that's shaking the building. But um, Ernest Charles Diaz could sleep anywhere. Well, remember that Lloyd Zimmerman was good at that, too. Yeah. But and but don't try and turn, turn the channel. That's where your dad and my dad were different. Yeah. I would change the channel, and dad would pop up and say, hey, I was watching that. I said, no, you weren't. You would go to sleep. Go back to sleep. Uh-huh. He'd go back to sleep. Your dad, if we said that, he'd be like, give me my remote. I was not asleep. Yeah, right. And two seconds later, he'd be back asleep. Yeah. <coughs> and you know, that was the thing. Dad never liked any sport except baseball. So if it wasn't baseball, it was uh, Westerns. Dad didn't like baseball. He supported the Cardinals. Yeah. He always drilled that in my head. You had to support the hometown team. That's why we supported the Rams when they came to town. Yeah. But Dad loved football. He introduced me to that. That's why the NFL was always in my top five. Mm-hmm. He loved horse racing. I still like horse racing. Yeah. You know, I know that's funny from somebody who hates car racing as much as I do. Well, But no. to me, a car is a machine. A horse is an athlete. Yeah. <coughs> and boxing. Yeah. Dad introduced me to all three of those. I tried to introduce him to MMA. Mm-hmm. He liked the striking. He never understood the grappling. He ah. never became a fan because he just couldn't understand the grappling aspect yeah. of it. You know, I was, uh, well, you know, I was always a Cardinals fan because of Dad. 
Uh, one of my earliest recollections of the Cardinals was the 82 World Series. Yeah, I, I remember uh, that. Because... But, uh, and then, uh, you know, the uh, dad was not an NFL fan. That was something I picked up on my own. Dad was never an NHL fan. I picked that up on my I, own. I wasn't either, and still I really ain't. I, you know, I hope the Blues win, but, you know, the, I can't keep up with that puck going all over the place. And, you know. Yeah. The fights aren't too bad, but every, then they go back to playing hockey. And yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, you know, believe it or not, I don't watch NASCAR and racing like I used to. I've kind of fallen out of out of it, but um, yeah. So that's uh, but like I said, anytime I turn on regular TV, it's for sports. It's <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we have covered the review. I think we've covered the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Anything else you want to cover in this bonus episode before we let everybody go? No, I tell you what, just everybody, I uh, hope you all had a good Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you near Christmas time. Yeah. Well, no, we got, we're going to do one more bonus episode. Oh, that's right. We're doing the next bonus episode. Yeah, that's right. So you're going to get an episode on every Monday this month. Yep. And then I have been talked into... Getting the band back together for the New Year's Day episode since the Monday, first Monday in January is going to be New Year's Day. Somebody thought it would be a great idea to get me, Dan, Trey, and Caleb <laughs> back together for the. I'm trying to get Solomon on the podcast. I have at least one Zimmerman that doesn't drive me crazy. <laughs> But we're going to get the band back together, and we're going to do another episode with the four of us. Well, we've already covered... It might be the end of the podcast, because <laughs> two well, of those that close together might might do me in. So. Well, we, we've already did, we've already tore down uh, who we're going to tear down on that. I won't give away the... the so I, I hope you guys enjoy these episodes much more than I did recording them, because it was like... Well, you know, I can lock the door on the studio, and they can't get in. Yeah. <laughs> I always said as a father that I wanted my kids to be independent thinkers. Because mm-hmm. I was always encouraged to be an independent thinker yeah. and stand up for my beliefs. But and, my grandfather, my grandfather are. was the most, so was my daughter. My, mm-hmm. my grandfather was the most dominant personality in my life. Yeah. And he always encouraged me to speak my mind and disagree with him when mm-hmm. I didn't agree with him. And he figured if I disagreed with him, I was wrong. And he didn't mind me being wrong. Right, yeah. But absolutely. he always encouraged me to do that. He encouraged my sisters to do that. Mm-hmm. We all grew up to be independent thinkers. And I said, that's what I wanted to give my kids. I wanted them all to be independent thinkers. Yeah. And you and know, did I succeed beyond my wildest imagination? You've never met three more independent thinkers, not taking lip off of nobody, yeah. do things their own way, and just temperamental cats that don't want to be herded. You know, and my that's, three kids are. And you know, I wouldn't know your daughter if she slapped me out in the middle of the parking lot. because Well, because I just don't have any interaction with her. Uh, but your boys, like I said, man, those... Well, those Katie is very, very busy starting her career right now. Yeah, so. but in your boys, I mean, you know, your boys are getting to be... I'm seeing them just as much as you do, just about. Yeah. <laughs> so, they're... Uh, yeah, they're nicer to you, though. Well, you... 
wait, just give it time. <laughs> yeah. The new the new uncle smell will wear off. <laughs> so we will get the band back together for the New Year's Day episode. So if the Christmas episode is more than you can take, you may not want to come back till the second week of January. But I'm hoping you at least enjoy it, even though it might have been a trial for some of us to put it together. So. Yeah. Well, I think that was the longest editing job you ever did was on task. It was. <laughs> I think my last words on that podcast were, oh, God. <laughs> hey, but they will get to hear the happy, happy Christmas song. They will. So, as will all of you. <laughs> so, that might be enough for you to swear off the podcast. So, I think we've worn out your our welcome and we've worn out your patience enough for this week. So, I think we'll sign off and... Any words of wisdom for the listeners? Um, well, uh, you better not pout. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. Because if you do, it'll irritate the piss out of Santa and you won't get none for Christmas. There you so. go. <laughs> words to live by. So until next week, everybody, take care. Have a good one, guys. Bye-bye.